Good morning, everyone. If you'll please stand with us and sing along. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God. You wrestle with the sinner's heart. You lead us by still waters and to mercy. And nothing can keep us apart.
darkness fills the night, it cannot hide the light. Whom shall I fear? You crush the enemy underneath my feet. You are my sword and shield, though troubles linger still. I fear. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever. He is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always
from 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? But I have good news for you this morning, and that is this. Jesus Christ cannot and shall not fail. And if your faith is in Him, then you have overcome the world. Amen? Amen. Would you take a moment and welcome those around you? All right, you may return to your seats and you may be seated. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Northside Baptist Church. What a One, two. <laughs> All right, good morning. You may return to your seats. want to welcome you to uh, Northside Baptist Church. Man, I hate to, to cut off the conversations in the, the, the fellowship, but we got, we got some more stuff we're going to do this morning. So welcome to Northside. We're so thankful that you are here. If this is your first time with us, we are thrilled to have you. Uh, the Lord brought you here for a reason. He's been orchestrating those things, and we just want you to feel the love of Christ uh, through our fellowship that is extended to you. We pray that you will see Christ glorified through our singing, through the preaching of his word. And um, if there's any way that we can help you, serve you, please let us know. If this is your first time, there's a couple different ways you can let us know that it's your first time. One, there's a QR code um, in the bulletin that you can scan, or there's a connect card out in the foyer. Uh, please fill one of those out. Um, so we could have just a record of your visit, we would greatly appreciate that. Let me draw your attention to some announcements, then we'll do a couple announcements at the end that I don't want you to forget as we leave. But there's several things in the bulletin coming up. This is a busy time of the year, right? The week of Thanksgiving and then leading into the Christmas um, celebrations. Our women's ministry is going to have a Christmas party. Um, that information's in there. Please pay attention to that. Our senior friends are having a luncheon on December 8th. We need you to sign up for that, so that sign-up sheet is out there. 
um, at the Connect Board. Uh, we have a quarterly church conference next Sunday night. I want to draw your attention to that. Um, youth Christmas party, our ugly Christmas sweater, which will be our second annual ugly Christmas sweater. That was a lot of fun. Um, and I've, I've got me a sweater this year that was given to me. I will not preach in the sweater, but I will wear the sweater until I preach. I don't want to distract from the preaching, but I will have one. And I may let you vote on me. Some of you will vote for me just because what it's got on it. But, um, so maybe I can win. Uh, all kinds of stuff. Let me draw your attention to one other thing, and then we'll make a couple announcements at the end. Um, you got the candlelight service on December 18th. Of course, December 25th, Christmas morning falls on a Sunday. We're not having Sunday school that day. We're going to worship in 10, at 1030. I want to encourage you, if you're not traveling, I know Christmas morning is a big morning if you have kids. I want to encourage you to wake up, have Christmas with your family, bring the kiddos in their pajamas if you want. That's fine. And just worship. Make, make Christmas morning. Choose to make it about we're going to gather with our family. If you're in town, I know some of you will be gone. But we're going to worship Jesus as a family. Look, a lot of churches, they did this six years ago. They'll do it again. I'm not here to judge them. But they just choose not to have Christmas when it's on, or worship when it's on, on Christmas Day. We're not going to do that. We're going to gather and hopefully you'll come and worship with us. also want to draw your attention to Saturday, December 10th at 6 p.m. Our youth have been working really hard on a Christmas play called Why You Were Sleeping. Um, I want to encourage you to come on that Saturday evening and support them. And I believe there's a message in there that will be a blessing to you. One other thing that we want to do this morning is on Saturday, this coming Saturday, we're going to take these shoe boxes that are up here on the front. And we're going to go to the warehouse and we're going to pack them. And if you signed up for that, you should get an email from Brian uh, one day this week with some details. But this is the last time the boxes will be here that you have packed. So we want to have a time of praying over these boxes. But before we do that, we have a video that we want you to check out. Let the little children come to me. Don't forbid them. For such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Operation Christmas Child is a way for the little children to come to Almighty God. That is the best gift of all, is becoming part of God's family. The mission of Operation Christmas Child never changes. Children are coming to Jesus. Children are being discipled. And children are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. These children are brave and bold, not afraid, and they're not ashamed of the gospel are trained and equipped to go out and share their faith with others. And many times in areas where it's an unreached people group, the Bible tells us the time is now. Let them come, Jesus said, let them come. And they're coming. They're coming by the millions. Every single box represents the life of a young boy, a young girl who will be touched by the gospel. Jesus has come to give them light, that they do not need to be in the darkness, that they have hope 
that they have joy. And it is our prayer that this glorious light of the gospel will flow among the nations and will fill our land with the knowledge of the glory of God. The Lord God Almighty desires to fulfill his redemptive plan for mankind in and through each of us and all of us. All of us are children of God. We share this incredible opportunity to take the gospel truly to the ends of the earth by gathering children to Jesus. I believe this year for Operation Christmas Child, this may be the most important year, most important opportunity that we'll ever have to reach children in the name of Jesus Christ. Pray that God will use these shoebox gifts to make a difference in the children's life for eternity. So I haven't counted the number of shoeboxes that we have up here yet, but we'll count them uh, this week. After the service, we have some bags that some of you have worked on throughout the year, just a personal handmade item that we will place in each box. And then we'll take these boxes on Saturday, and from there, they'll be delivered to somewhere in the world. Um, and I love in that video that kids are coming to Christ by the millions. And so I want to pray for these boxes. We can't all gather around them. That's a little too close. So we've done this a couple times just instead of actually physically laying hands on the box, if you'll just kind of extend your arm out as if you were praying over these boxes, um, and let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll continue to worship together. Father, we come to you. Lord, you are drawing men and women to yourself. And we even see here over the last couple months, Lord, that you seem to be drawing children to yourself. They said in the video, children are coming to Christ by the millions. There's no fear. They're eager to put their faith in you. They're eager to go out and tell others about you. There's no shame in that for them. Father, we pray as these boxes will go into maybe some hard places, places where the gospel is not prevalent, maybe where the gospel isn't even openly allowed, but yet through a gift, they're allowing it to come in. We pray, Father, for those who pack these boxes. We pray for those who will receive these boxes. We pray for those that will go to the warehouses to pray over them, to finalize that process, for the men and women that will deliver them, whether that is through plane or by train or by boat, for those that are already in these countries who are prepared and equipped, the churches that exist, as they will receive these boxes for the boys and girls that will come. Father, what I love about Operation Christmas Child is, is that it's not ultimately about the gifts that are inside. This is simply a door that as the boxes are given and opened, that children then have the opportunity to come and sit through what is called the greatest journey, where they hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ, where they can make a personal decision to believe and to trust in Jesus when they'll hear the name of Jesus for the first time, some of these boys and girls. So, Father, use these boxes in an awesome, powerful way. We may never know how the box that we individually packed impacted a boy or girl, but maybe in glory, Father, we'll be able to see. So use them for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us as we sing some Thanksgiving songs?
to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. The earth will break forth with gladness, and glorify the King of all kings. Let the trees clap their hands, the mountains resound, let his people rejoice and worship him now. Bless his holy name, shout for joy. 
a mighty shout of victory. Declare the glory of his name. Come with a heart that's overflowing. Put on your garments of praise. Tell of his excellent greatness. Tell of his mercy and his grace. Crown him our blessed Redeemer. Forever Jesus will Enter his courts, we worship you, we love you, Lord. And know that he is God, the everlasting Lord. Now and always, yes, he is so good, and his mercy will endure. His ways are always perfect, and his promises are sure. Bless his holy name, shout for joy and enter his gate. Shout for joy and enter, shout for joy, shout for joy and enter, enter his gate. Enter his gate. Amen. Thank you, choir and Miss Wanda. Amen. All right, at this time, our kids are going to make their way to Children's Church. So we have our younger kiddos and then our kindergarten through second as well. Sorry, I You're forgot. About me, younger. Yeah, younger. That's exactly what I'm talking about, Mr. Carey. Somebody help Mr. Carey get out there where he needs to be. All right. For everybody else, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we are in verse 10, beginning in verse 10. And verse 10 begins with the word, finally, finally. As Paul is getting ready to end his letter, he says, finally, and some of you might be thinking, finally, we have come to the last section of Ephesians. We've been here for well over a year. And so let me just give you a quick recap as we think about this letter, as we come to some of the final words in this letter. Let me remind you that chapters 4, 5, and 6 are primarily dealing with the imperatives. That is how you are to live. How you are to live. And so he starts chapter 4 with these words, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. To walk, to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Right? So this is how you are to live. This is the imperative. This is the commands. And this comes on the heels of the first three chapters in which Paul's focus is not how you live, but who you are. Like, who are you in Christ? Because who you are in Christ shapes how you live. So let me just remind you of a couple things. You see there in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1, in Christ... We are sons and daughters. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So who are you? Well, in Christ, you are sons and daughters. And that shapes so much of our identity. 
And then you remember the last couple of weeks, we were in chapter 6, verse 6, and we saw that we are servants of Christ. So not only are we sons and daughters, God is our Father, but Christ is also our Master. And so when we pledge our allegiance to Christ, when we ask Him to save us, right, we begin to live for Him and to follow Him. So who are we? Well, we are sons and daughters. We are servants. This morning we're going to also see that we are soldiers. We are soldiers. You and I, whether you want to be or not, you are in spiritual warfare. You are in spiritual warfare. Warren Wearsby writes, the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. So whether you want to be or not, if you have given your life to Jesus, the moment you said, Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me, he saves you, and now you are enlisted in spiritual warfare. And so I want to ask four questions this morning of our text. We're going to be in verses 10 through 13. Three questions. Question number one is what? What is Paul commanding us to do? Question number two is why? Why is Paul commanding us to do this? The third question is how? How do we do this? And then the last question is who? Who is our enemy? Who are we standing against? Half of our time will be on the fourth question. We're just going to be in verses 10 through 13, and then next week we'll begin to get into the actual armor of God. But if you'll please stand, I want us to read verses 10 through 20 so we can see the context of what we'll be talking about. So please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. You may be seated. First question. What? What is Paul commanding us to do? Well, there are several imperative verbs in these verses, but the very first one we come to is verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong. That's a, that Greek word, be strong, is a verb. It's in the imperative form, meaning this is a command. He is commanding us in his final instructions to be strong. But also notice that in this Greek word, be strong, it's in the passive tense. Not the active, but the passive voice. Meaning, we really interpret this, be strengthened in the Lord. Be strengthened in the Lord, or be made strong. In other words, 
our strength is not in our activeness or in our ability, but it is in the Lord. We are to be strengthened by Him. We are to be made strong from Him. So your strength, as we think about these words, it's not in your ability. Some of you are physically strong. Some of you, like myself, are not. So you are thankful that your ability to stand is not based upon your own strength. So we are not dependent on ourselves, but we are dependent upon God. And the good news is Paul has already talked about God's power and strength in this letter. In Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, it says this, What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand? Hear me, the power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that strengthens you. Amen? Malachi and I were driving down the road yesterday. I love how the Lord provides these illustrations. And we were talking about something, and he was struggling a little bit. Like, well, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do that. And it's like, yes, you can. Because God's strength will enable you to do that. And I said, and God raised Jesus from the dead. And if he can raise Jesus from the dead, he can handle Malachi and his little struggle. Right? That's the power that you're resting in. It's in Christ. In Ephesians 3, 16, it says this, that according to the riches of his grace, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So Paul, what is he saying to us? He's saying you are to be strong in the Lord. Your strength comes from the Lord. Now, why does he tell us to be strong? That's the second question. Why is Paul commanding us to be strong in the Lord? It's simply this, so that we would stand firm. Stand firm. Notice how many times this word appears. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand. He goes on to say that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, and he begins to list all these things. He says, therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, the imperative form, stand therefore. This language of standing occurs throughout the Bible. Exodus 14, 13, God's people are between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Daniel 11, verse 32, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Romans 5, 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. 1 Peter 5, verse 12, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Paul's admonition to us is we are to be strengthened in the Lord so that we can stand firm. Y'all remember several weeks ago I shared from Acts 14 and Paul's heart of making disciples and what Paul said to them. You remember what Paul said to them? Right? He said that they were to be, they were to strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. 
Listen, the day's coming, brothers and sisters, in which we will stand before Jesus. But before we get there, there's going to be tribulations. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be persecution. And when all of that comes, Paul says, you are to stand firm. You stand firm in the midst of suffering, trials, and the attacks of Satan. You stand firm. But how are we to be strengthened? How are we going to stand firm when we aren't very strong in and of ourselves? Well, that's the third question. How do we stand firm? By putting on the whole armor of God. By putting on the whole armor of God. He says, put on, verse 11, the whole armor of God. He says in verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So God gives strength so that we might stand against our enemy. And he does that, Paul says, by supplying us with armor. Now, this imagery of putting on the armor of God is drawn from the prophet Isaiah. And we're going to get into that in the coming weeks. So we're, going to, we're not going to get into the, the pieces of the armor of God this morning. We'll begin to look at that next week. But he's telling us there's six pieces to the armor. Right? This is the imagery as he's chained up to a Roman soldier trying to help us see that you're in a spiritual battle and this is what you are to put on. So what do we put on? We'll get there. But let me say one thing about God's armor this morning. The armor that we are to put on is not like a uniform. It's not like a uniform. I mean, there were some good football games yesterday college football games man those those college athletes right they get up in the morning and man they get ready and at some point some of you who played football you know this at some point they put the jersey on and there's a point in which they take it off they're not sleeping in it they're not wearing it 24 hours a day they put it on and then they take it off some of you work in a hospital right there's certain things you have to put on like to get ready to go into a surgery room. And there's things, then when you're done, you take them off. You don't come home in them. I remember when Ryan, when we had to have a C-section for, for Landon, that was a spur of the moment. We weren't ready, and they brought in all this stuff. And they're like, hey, you got to put all of this on to go in the surgery room. And I'm like, what in the world is all this stuff? Thank goodness I didn't have to wear it forever. You put it on, you take it off. Hear me, when we talk about God's armor, this isn't something you put on and then you take off. You never take this off. Why? Because your enemy never takes a day off. He never takes a second off. And the minute you think, well, man, I don't need the sword of the spirit. I don't need the breastplate. I don't need the belt of truth. I don't need these things. You begin to take them off. The enemy begins to attack you even more. So when we begin to look at these pieces of armor, these are things that God provides. He gives them to us and we put them on and we are to keep them on. That leads to the last question, where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, or the remainder of our time, and that is this. Who are we standing against? If he says, stand firm, be strengthened in the Lord, here's the armor that you're to wear. Well, obviously, if we're putting on armor, the imagery is we're in a battle. We're fighting against somebody. So who is that enemy? And listen, it is very important. Some of you have been in war. You know this. You have got to identify your enemy. You have got to know who the enemy is. You have to do your research. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? So who is the enemy that we stand against? Well, look what he says in uh, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Our enemy has just been identified. He is the devil. 
that we are to stand against the devil. Then verse 12, Paul says, for we do not wrestle. Wrestle, that word means to engage in intense struggle. It has the idea of hand-to-hand combat. Like you think of the Olympics, they have the Greco-Roman wrestling, but I was never interested in that. Some of you like to wrestle, that's awesome. I just felt that was a little too close to be to another guy. Like it's all sweaty and stuff, right? I just not, and plus I'm weak. Like I would be horrible at wrestling. I know my weaknesses. Just stay away from the wrestling. But the imagery here is the enemy is near. Like this is hand-to-hand combat. We are wrestling. But notice what he says. And this is important. Identify your enemy. For we do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. You see that? This is important. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. When we think flesh and blood, we think human. This is not a physical battle. Your enemy, I said this last week, your enemy is not an actual person. That's not your enemy. Now, do people do horrific things? Yes. Do people hurt you in horrific ways? Yes. But ultimately, your enemy is not a person. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your children. I know sometimes you may think, man, do my kids hate me? Like, what's wrong with them? But they're not your enemy. Your enemy is not your boss. Your enemy is not a person sitting in this room. Your enemy is not ultimately flesh and blood. This is not a physical war. It is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual warfare of cosmic proportions. This is good versus evil. This is light versus darkness. Life versus death. God and his angels versus Satan and his demonic beings. And as a follower of Christ, you are in this fight. Pastor, I don't want to be in the fight. Then you shouldn't have given your life to Jesus. Because the minute you give your life to Jesus, you're a soldier. You are now the enemy of Satan. Because God is Satan's enemy. Satan hates God. God is the enemy of Satan. And if you're on God's side, guess what? You're now an enemy of Satan. And so you and I have to understand that. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, says, I have fought the good fight. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Peter writes this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to walk up to a roaring lion and try to give it a hug. Like he's not my friend. He will devour me. Peter says, that's Satan. He will devour you. Seeking someone to devour, resist him firm in in your faith. So hear me, you have an enemy. You and I need to identify and know who our enemy is. So five things that we learn about our enemy. Number one, they are numerous. Our enemy is numerous. Look what Paul says, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I like what John Stott writes. He says, Paul's purpose is not to satisfy our curiosity. I would have liked for Paul to tell me a little bit more about this enemy. Like, give me 20 verses on this enemy. He gives me one. He names them, and then he stops. 
And so Stodd says Paul's purpose is not to satisfy our curiosity, but to warn us of their hostility and teach us how to overcome them. So Paul here mentions rulers and authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces. And in my study this week in some commentaries, there's disagreement about to whom these refer. There are some who take these authorities and world powers to be political entities, societal, cultural systems. So you could right, look back and say the Roman government was one of these. They had Jesus crucified. Or you could look at Hitler right, and the Nazis and say like Satan was using them. This is what it means by rulers and authorities. Look, I don't believe that's what it's speaking of. Can Satan work through these systems? Absolutely. You better believe Satan used the Roman soldiers to crucify Jesus. But God said, I can take what's meant for evil and bad and use it for good. And I can save people through the death of my son. So does Satan use these systems? Yes. But I don't believe he's speaking here of cultural, societal, political systems. I think he's speaking of Satan and his army of evil and malicious spirits who continually make war against the people of God. And he calls them. And obviously there's some sort of hierarchical or organizational structure here because he calls them rulers and authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. And notice the language that he uses over and over and over again. They are against us. They are against you. And there's many of them. They far outnumber you. They're numerous. But then he goes on to tell us that our enemy is powerful. He's powerful. Just look at the language. Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers. Like in this language, Paul is saying the enemy is powerful. The enemy's powerful. But I have good news for you. He is not omnipotent. He is powerful, but he is not all-powerful. He is stronger than you. He is stronger than me. He is stronger than all of us together. But he is not stronger than an almighty God. Amen. He is not stronger than God. Your enemy is powerful. And if you try to stand in your own strength in whatever issue it is, you will fall every time because your enemy is powerful. A third, our enemy is wicked. The enemy is wicked. He says the spiritual forces of evil. Hear me. Do not underestimate the power of in the evil of Satan. Satan is not like this little dude in a red suit with a pitchfork that comes and sits on your shoulder and just so gently trying to lead you astray. He is evil. Paul says they are wicked, they are evil. He speaks of darkness. My goodness, y'all, have you watched the news lately? Like it's getting to the point where you've got to decide, look, I watch the news and it depresses me, or I don't watch it, and I'm ignorant, and I have no idea what's going on. It's like there's not a middle ground, because everything you watch, it's just wicked. Just this week, just this week, three Virginia football players murdered. Four University of Idaho students slaughtered. More than 20 law enforcement recruits plowed down while they were on a morning run. Everywhere you look, man, it's death and destruction and evil and depravity and darkness and wickedness. So many people today, what they want to do is they want to talk about these issues without talking about evil, without talking about faith, without talking about the spiritual. Now, when you, when you see things like 
football players shot or four students slaughtered, there's always many factors that are going on there. Like you can maybe trace it back to their upbringing, mental illness, right? There's always many factors. But at the end of the day, if you believe the Bible to be true, the reality is everything ultimately comes back to sin. The problem is I am wicked. Apart from Jesus, my heart is evil. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And thank God he sent me a Savior and his name is Jesus. Because I needed a Savior. But hear me, Satan knows that. Satan knows you need a Savior. And so he wants to keep you from the Savior. And when you give your life to the Savior, he wants to draw you away from the Savior. He wants to take that flesh, that wickedness that is still there within you, and man, he wants to use it for his purposes. Because he's got a, a, a great scheme going on here. And it's working. And he's captivated and enslaved so many people. So our enemy is wicked, but our enemy is also cunning. That's what you and I need to understand. Our enemy is not stupid. He is cunning. He says against the schemes of the devil. That word for schemes is methodia, from which we get our word method. That English word method means technique or a way of doing something. So what is Satan's technique? How does he do it? Well, he's one of, it's one of craftiness and cunning and deception. Listen to what Snodgrass writes in his commentary. He says, Mention of the schemes of the devil reminds us of the trickery and subterfuge by which evil and temptation present themselves in our lives. Evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, perfectly legitimate. It is a baited and camouflaged trap. Listen, Satan is not stupid. And Satan knows people aren't stupid. Now, you may say, wait a minute, but I object. I know some people, they seem stupid. Look, we're made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. We're not stupid. The problem is Satan knows how to deceive us. And he always does it with a cunning way. Satan knows. He knows that if he comes to you men and says, look, husband, I know your wife is it encouraging you? She doesn't seem to be attracted to you. She doesn't seem to really love you. But there's a lady that you work with. She's attractive and she seems to be interested in you. And man, you're not getting this at home, so why don't you pursue her? Do you know if Satan came to you and said, listen, there's a woman, I want you to have an affair with her, but understand, when you have an affair, you're going to break your wife's heart. It's going to be broken. Your marriage may not be fixed. Your kids will hate you. They will despise you. They will never forgive you. It may cost you your job. You're going to wind up in a cycle of depression, and you're going to realize sexuality doesn't define you. If Satan said that, nobody would have an affair because we're not stupid. But that's not what he does. And ladies, he works the same way with you. 
Man, you know that guy at work, man, he pays you a lot of attention. Your husband, he comes home and he gets in that lazy boy and he doesn't listen to you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't encourage you. This guy seems more concerned about your kids than your husband does. And he begins to lead you astray and he knows where it's headed. And in your mind, you know where it's headed, but you don't care because he's cunning and deceptive. Listen, some of you young folks, man, this is the temptation. You're going to start dating and Satan's going to begin to lead you to want to do some inappropriate things with that boyfriend or girlfriend. And he's going to say, everybody's doing it. There's nothing wrong. God will forgive you. But if Satan was honest with you, he would tell you, I'm going to destroy your life, and he'll do it. But nobody's going to listen to him if he does that. So he's deceptive. He's cunning. And hear me, he is our adversary. You and I must understand this. That's what Satan means. It is an adversary. And he is against God, and he is against all that God is doing in the world. So think about what God's doing, just according to Ephesians. God has made one people. Jew and Gentile, he's made them one. So what's Satan going to try to do? He's going to try to destroy that. God has broken down the walls of hostility. So what's Satan going to try to do? He's going to try to rebuild them and separate us and cause us to see people in all these categories that were better than them or less than them. God has brought unity to his people. So what's Satan going to do? He's going to seek to sow seeds of discord and division among his people. God brings life. Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. God speaks the truth. And so Satan begins to distort and deny that truth and say, did God really say? This is what Satan does. God delivers us from spiritual bondage. Satan seeks to enslave us once again. God has forgiven and declared us righteous, and Satan seeks to accuse you and shame you and say, how could you ever do that? You can never love God and act like that. That's what Satan does. He's constantly bombarding us with lies. God sets you apart unto himself, and Satan seeks to draw you away from him. God sends you on a mission with eternal implications and Satan seeks to distract us with earthly pleasures and pursuits like a cell phone and social media, which I become more and more convinced is not of God, but is of Satan. He is leading. Listen, y'all, there's going to be a day when statistics come out that show us how much damage this phone and social media has done to us. And we have got, I'm not saying you can't have a phone or you can't do social media, but you have got to recognize what Satan is doing and put boundaries and parameters in place. And parents, let me just tell you, as a parent of teenagers, it is your responsibility to know what your kids are doing. Your kids need parameters. They are not able to handle this on their own. They can't because their enemy wants to destroy them. He wants to destroy them. You say, wow, pastor. Man, this is the week of Thanksgiving. Why couldn't we have got one of those Thanksgiving messages you gave us last year <laughs> on the Sunday before Thanksgiving? I mean, this is supposed to be a time of gratitude and of thankfulness. And you've just told me I'm in a spiritual warfare with an enemy who is powerful and numerous and destructive and cunning and he's wicked. Where is reason to be thankful? Well, if you're still paying attention, I'm going to give you a fifth point. And this alone is reason for you to be thankful and grateful this week. And you ready? Your enemy is a defeated foe. Amen? Your enemy... As powerful and as cunning and as numerous as they may be is 
a defeated foe. I want you to notice something here. Stick with me. Don't give up yet. I want you to notice that in these verses that we read, there is nothing said about winning a battle. Nothing said about winning the war. Paul tells you to be strong in the Lord, to stand firm, to put on that armor. That's what he tells you. Nothing about winning the battle. And I don't know about you, but I don't know if you're a coach, like if that's the most effective strategy, if you got the guys in the locker room, or if you're leading men and women out to battle and out to war. Like yesterday, I knew, I knew Kentucky was not beating Georgia. I'm shocked it was that close. I knew. Like, can you imagine if Mark Stoops had the boys in the locker room? He actually brought in Buster Douglas, who I think beat Mike Tyson. Like, he was trying to get them fired up. Can you imagine if Mark Stoops stood in the locker room with those boys and said, look, boys, everybody in this arena, everybody on TV knows we ain't winning. I know we're not winning, so just go out there and give it your best shot. Just, just stand firm. Like, they'd walk out of that locker room defeated. He doesn't... They don't do that. They tell them, I believe in you. You can go win. So go win the battle. That's not what Paul does. He tells you to stand firm. Why doesn't he tell you to go win? Because Jesus has already won. He doesn't got to go tell you to win. He just tells you the victory has been won. He will strengthen you. He's providing you with the armor. Stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. Now listen, we shouldn't be surprised. If you know your Bible, this shouldn't surprise you. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, everything is incredible. It's wonderful. And then it unravels so quickly in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve disobey God. But in Genesis 3 verse 15, man, it's foreshadowed. It tells us that a war is coming. That there will be enmity between the serpent and the offspring of the woman. That there's going to be enmity. There's going to be a battle there. And then it goes on to tell us that the serpent will be defeated. That yes, right, he'll bruise, he'll bruise the offspring, but he is going to be crushed. Right? His head will be bruised and crushed. So Satan is a defeated foe, but he is not going down without a fight. Satan knows he's lost, but he's not in the corner waving the white flag like, okay, I give up. I'm going to stop coming after your people. I'm done. He is not going down without a fight. He's not surrendering. You need to understand that. Notice what Paul says. He speaks here about the evil day, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And that's interesting. You know, Jesus speaks of the last days, and we know when the last days come, the end times, that the evil is going to ramp up. We know that. And so maybe that's what Paul's speaking about. You stand in those last days, evil days. But there's other commentators who mention that what Paul could be speaking of here are specific or special evil days in each individual lives. Like there will be an evil day in your life, a day in which Satan seems to be coming after you more strongly and severely than at other times. One, one commentary writes this, while the evil one wanted to attack Jesus all the time. He came with particular force at certain times. Like, is the only time Satan tried to destroy the whole thing in tempting Jesus in the garden? Like, did Satan leave the disciples alone the rest of the time? No. Now, was it severe in the garden, I mean, I mean in, in the wilderness, right, when Jesus is tempted, I mean, is, is Satan coming after him extra hard? Yes. 
And listen, there will be times in your life that he does the same thing to you. There will be seasons in your life in which Satan maybe doesn't come after you as aggressively. He's always there, ready to pounce on you if you give him an opportunity. But I think every one of you in this room could say, man, there have been seasons in your life where you felt all of hell coming against you, and it was consistent, and it was nonstop. That's what he does. He attacks, he accuses, he deceives, but praise God, he's been defeated. He's been defeated. Let me close with a couple verses of Scripture. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, how do I know that I can stand? How do I know that my, my teenagers that they'll stand. Like, what confidence do I have? Here's your confidence. You do what Paul tells you in Ephesians 6. You draw strength from the Lord and not from yourself. You draw strength from Christ's righteousness and not your own self-righteousness. You stand firm. When everything comes against you, you do what Paul says. You stand firm. You put on the whole armor of God. And when all of hell comes against you, you know how we know you can stand? Because Jesus Christ, as I said earlier, cannot and will not fail. You? Oh, yeah. You stand no shot. Just be honest. I stand no shot in my own strength against Satan. But in Christ, he cannot and will not fail. And Paul has told us over and over and over, you are in Christ. That doesn't mean you get to say, whoo, I'm in Jesus. I can, I can step back and don't have to do anything. No, he says you got to put on the armor. And all of these armors, there's significance in each piece. And we're going to look at that. You've got to stand. You've got to be willing to fight. But you know that you can prevail because Christ cannot and will not fail. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father, God, we come to you. Lord, God, we need we need a word from you. We need to be strengthened. We need to be encouraged. We need to draw our hope from you, Father. Lord, as we think just about this week, about the next month, as we think about, Lord, that we're going to be gathering with family. And sometimes, Father, as we gather with family, there can be frustrations and and issues that take place. Maybe we're with brothers and sisters or extended family that we're just not very close to or something happened. Father, there's more time off of work and more time at home with our families. And sometimes, Lord, things can blow up and we can lose our cool. Father, as it comes into this time of the season, Lord, we sometimes we get stressed. We worry about finances. We got to buy gifts. We have to do these things for certain people. We're, we're just running around like crazy and wondering, do we have any time for all of this? And Lord, I do believe that Satan knows that there are seasons in our life where we become so busy, so distracted, that we are easier targets. Father, on top of that, we're living in a difficult, difficult world, in a difficult age, in difficult times with so much darkness and so much depression and so much anxiety and so many people just struggling with whether they want to live or not. And maybe in this room, 
Maybe in this room, people who would say, Pastor, I like joy. I like hope. I like peace. And I like love. As we will see over the next five Sundays, Jesus, that is exactly why you came. And you're coming and in your dying, as we look forward and anticipate your coming, we, we remember that in you, Jesus, we have peace, and we have hope, and we have love, and we have joy, because these things are in you, and you are in us. God, I want to specifically pray, and I don't know who they are, but God, I want to pray for that man, that woman, that teenager, that young child, who right now, Father, as they sit here, they are in an all-out spiritual battle with Satan. And maybe they walked in and they felt like they were losing. And maybe they walked in and they were ready to throw in the towel. They've just gotten to such a dark, hurtful place. Oh, Jesus, I pray that they would see the good news of the gospel, that you have provided victory for them. And God, if they're there, if they're in that place, but God, right now they're overcome with emotions and they know it. Lord, my prayers, they will first and foremost turn to you. That this message would have been an encouragement to them, but then secondly, God, I pray, I plead, they will hear my voice and they will reach out to somebody, a friend, a brother or a sister in Christ, and just be open and honest and say, I can't do this alone. Will you help me? Will you pray for me? Will you encourage me? Can I call you when I need somebody? God, we are called to do this together, not alone. Together. God, you have provided the victory. Help us to walk in it, we pray. As we sing this last song, oh God, may we just worship from a heart of gratitude and of thanksgiving because Jesus, you are the victor. You're the winner. And you will not and cannot fail. And that is a reason to celebrate now. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. You can come and kneel and pray if you need to. I'm here at the front. Just worship as we sing this final song. Let's worship God together. The splendor of the King Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice he wraps himself in light And darkness tries to hide And trembles at his voice And trembles at his voice How great is our God Sing with me how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. And age to age she stands, and time is in his hand.
that I wanted to hit you with before, right as you left, so you would not forget them. We have done this the last couple of years, but when you walk out to your left, right there on the Connect board, you'll notice it looks a little bit different. There are a bunch of different tags with different items on each tag. And so we partner with Bridging the Gap. They do something called Christmas in Coweta. Um, the last two years, we've taken two families. We've had a total of four kids. This year, at the last minute, we still have two families we have three families, right? Yeah, this year there's, some of the families only have one. But one of the families that we adopted has just taken in, I believe, their 12-year-old nephew. And so we don't want to exclude that nephew. So there's actually five kids that we're going to be buying for 
this year. So all the information is right there in the bulletin. But what I need you to do, you guys did an incredible job of this last year, and I know we've asked you to give a lot over these last two months. But if you can go by and just take one or two tags, if everybody went by and just took one or two, they're going to they're gonna be gone. They went fast last year. And so the instructions are there when they need to be brought back by. You do not wrap them. Bring them back with the item and then make sure the tag is with the item. And we'll have a table out here that you can put them on. And then on December 10th, you can come meet those moms and help them wrap gifts and just love on them. Like I know one of the moms has some major surgeries coming up, knees, hips. She just has just some stuff going on. Um, and I believe she's the one that has also brought in the 12-year-old. The and they need our prayer. They need our love. They need our support. And so, and we get to do that face-to-face -face with them. And so grab some tags, bring those back. Also just want to remind you that we have no evening activities tonight or on Wednesday night. And so from my family to yours, we pray that you have a great Thanksgiving. If you're traveling, be safe. If you're staying local, eat a lot. Um, and may your hearts be grateful and thankful because no matter what you face this week, victory is already yours in Christ. For what he has done and so rest in that truth all right mike edson where are you at brother mike is uh going to be the deacon of the week this week so he's going to close us with the word of prayer if you'll stand let's be dismissed with prayer uh, i'm going to take this opportunity before i close i got to wander a little bit y'all bear with me does let me show you a show of hands everybody who knows what chiclets are Chicklets. Does anybody have one? Because I could use one right here. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. Uh, I got drunk and fell. And, uh, and <laughs> no, I did have a, a step gave way and I fell face first on Wednesday and I can't get anything done until the first part of the week. So I know people in Sunday school and everywhere else say, did you see Mike is? Did you see that face? He is toothless sucker. <laughs> anyway, I uh, just wanted to say that so you wouldn't go home talking about me. <laughs> uh, if you would, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just sang how great you are. Oh, it's so evident each and every day. All we have to do is just look. And listen. There's so much to be thankful for, Lord, that uh, we have Thanksgiving coming up. And we tend to focus on football and family and eating and all that stuff. But even without all this, if, if we are true to ourselves and true to you, we are a, just a super blessed people to be living where we are, to be among the folks that we're among and the opportunities that we have because of you. We ask that you uh, remind us of these things, not only on Thanksgiving, but each and every day, how blessed we are, regardless of how many trials and tribulations we are, have, and we're just truly blessed. We thank you, Lord, for, for Aaron being the kind of pastor that you sent us that uh, speaks the truth in the gospel each and every Sunday. Sunday. And uh, 
it just helps us to, to focus on you and focus on our lives, Lord. And we appreciate that so much. We ask that you be with us throughout the week and especially on Thanksgiving when we gather together, hopefully with family and friends and enjoy each other's company. Bless us and may we bless others each and every day of the week. Help us to wear that armor and to stand, stand firm against all the evils that we usually encounter each and every day. Just keep us safe, Lord, and bless us for us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.